your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. Brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, guests, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello, everybody. This is Betsy Hicks, and it's kind of an interesting introduction that I just received because it's pretty much the opposite of what we're really talking about today. On May 13th, Karen McCarran suffocated her three-year-old daughter, Emily, and Emily had autism. Today, we'll first be talking to Laura Cellini about what unfolded that day and the days leading up to Karen taking her daughter's life. Laura knew and spoke many times with Karen. The show is not about speculating the mental state of Karen. It's about understanding the desperation of what leads parents to desire nothing more than than to end the suffering. After speaking with Karen, we'll be talking with Valerie um, Herskowitz. Valerie Herskowitz of Dimensions Therapy was awarded the Stevie Lifetime Achievement Award for her work with autistic and special needs children. Herskowitz was recognized for her 26 years of service to children with special needs and their families. She was honored for starting two innovative community programs, Mothers of Special Needs Individuals and the Family Club. The Mothers of Special Needs Individuals host a regular mom's night out to provide a night off for mothers of special needs children. The Family Club has monthly get-togethers that enable families to feel comfortable socializing with their special needs children. In addition to her responsibilities as the Director of Dimensions Therapy Center, a facility that offers speech and occupational therapy services, Herskowitz was also recognized for her work as an international lecturer and writer on the topic of special needs children. Over the years as a speech therapist, her work with parents of special needs has led her on a journey to start a workshop called Having It All. I speak very openly today to my listeners. I want you all to know how much I felt a need to do this show. My son used to have severe autism. He's physically recovering, but I still experience the pain of his frustration due to autism. Many people feel that the only ones who are qualified to speak on autism are those with recovered children. Recovered and recovering are two very different words and two very different paths. I have lived a life of hopelessness. I have cried many tears over autism. I have listened to many stories from many patients and others I have tried to support. Today's show is for anyone who knows someone with autism. We need to save the families that are dealt this challenge. Laura, I want to thank you for joining us today. Can you start off with the story of Karen? I can. Um, first of all, I just want to clarify that it was Katie, her daughter Katie. Oh, I'm sorry. No, and her, she has a little sister. Uh, it's Emily. Emily. Okay, yeah. I apologize. Thank you for re- for checking on that. Thank you. Sure. No, and um, I had um, actually never met Karen in person, but we had spoken uh, over the past couple of years on the phone uh, numerous times. Karen had uh, come 
to find me. I'm an advocate for parents. And so they were trying to make some decisions early on about treatment, and um, they had gone through some extraordinary uh, challenges in finding services here in Illinois. So they had determined that they would send Katie to the Mariposa School, which is one of the uh, most renowned schools in the country for autism. Uh, you know, for all of us, it's it's difficult to make those kind of decisions and um, faced with the challenges of finding the appropriate types of services uh, can be very cumbersome. Their family had decided that uh, Katie's dad, Paul, would go with her to uh, North Carolina and they would live there while Katie attended Mariposa. Uh, Karen was a physician in Peoria, Illinois, or a small town outside of it, and she would stay and continue to work there. So um, in numerous conversations, she had expressed to me her uh, the sorrow, I think she felt, it having to divide the family. Um, in, in that time period, they, had, they went on to have another daughter, Emily. Mm. Um, so, you know, not only having a child with autism and, and having your, uh, your family split apart across the country um, and then having a child on your own, I think um, those were all uh, factors that, that helped to, uh, to help create a, a sense of, as you mentioned, hopelessness. So um, I think those are some of the things. I, I do want to say that in all of my conversations with Karen, she had expressed a deep love for her daughter. Um, I, I never had any other impression that she was trying to do everything that they could as a family to uh, access the appropriate services um, and and to uh, to ask the appropriate professionals right. what they could do to help their daughter. Laura, as you saw this. From, from when you heard the news of what had happened to all of the reports and the speculations that you heard afterwards, um, what has been your feeling, especially in, in regards to the show? I'd like for you to share that because I've loved speaking with you prior to this many times um, because you've never, you've never pointed fingers and you've never... Um, been angry, you really just wanted to help. And wh what has been your all of the emotions that have been going through you at this time? Um, I think my first, the, when I first heard about it, I was shocked. I mean, it was, it was very shocking. Um, and I, I guess I would say I've had a roller coaster of emotions, um, to be quite frank, on this has to be a mistake, um, to, oh, my gosh, I wish so badly that I had been able to recognize the signs of despair um, when I last spoken to her. Uh, we all have bad days, and it's not unusual for us when talking amongst other parents to express our frustration. And I think that one of the feelings that I've had since this is maybe a more keen awareness of the difference between a bad day and when a parent is really in a state of despair. Mm -hmm. um, it's really caused me to search myself and to try to better recognize when a parent has 
is starting to exhibit those kinds of thoughts. Um, not that I ever had fathomed um, this, but I think it's it's incumbent upon all of us if we're having a you know a series of bad days or we're really not able to go about our daily tasks or you know uh, a feeling of, of real hopelessness that we seek and get help and reach out. Right. So for me, um, I, you know, I'm trying to better understand how someone gets to that place. And I think all of us as parents of children with autism, or in particular when you have a child with severe autism, uh, it's, it's the wearing down um, and it's, it's so uh, physical as well. Right. You know, and I think that that was surprising. When my son was first diagnosed, I remember praying and thinking, God, forgive me, I had no idea it was this hard. So I, ho- I hope to to have compassion and to better understand um, how someone could get to this point. How, how is the rest of the family doing now? How is Emily and her dad doing at this I don't know. Um, her... I. I believe her husband did file for divorce, um, and Emily is with her father. And I do know that Karen is, um, her parents have uh, helped to seek mental health treatment for her. You know, there is a piece of that, too, because um, from, my, from my own point of view in dealing with a lot of the biomedical end of things, and you're looking at methylation problems and all these other different pieces that give a predisposition to autism, meaning that a lot of the parents with autism have the genetic setup towards having everything in the range of autism through depression. And so at least one of the parents in dealing with autism needs to be looked at as to not necessarily depression, but definitely some of the genetic setups. And depression is certainly one that I see as being very rampant among parents of children with autism. And, I, and there is certainly a lot to be said for what that means mentally and all the stresses that are there involved, but there is a physical piece to this too. And um, I think that parents shouldn't feel that they are, um, if, if they need to seek help, they shouldn't feel that they are weak because they need to get um possibly either through medication or supplements or whatever it is they might need to do to seek out help. Absolutely. Um, One of the things that this tragedy has brought about for the autistic community or the the families of persons with autism is um, I've heard from people whereas before maybe somebody wouldn't have said, you know, I've had had these thoughts. Or I I know maybe I, I wouldn't go to this extreme, but I have days where I feel like I can't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Or when I go to sleep at night, I don't want to wake up the next morning because I know the day is going to be so hard. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important for us as a community to allow people to be able to admit that so that we can go to the next step and make sure that they're getting the appropriate support, um, whether it, like you said, whether it be medical intervention whether it be counseling, um, whether it be maybe their child doesn't, maybe they're not getting any respite. 
Um, and, and I did have a mother who called me, and she said, you know, I read this story in the paper, and she said, I, not that I, you know, have anticipated doing this, but I, I can really recognize that, I, that I'm really in despair, mm-hmm. and, and I'm feeling like on, on the edge. And so when now I get a call like that, I'm going to be very, very vigilant in making sure that we try to get the appropriate services for that family um, to prevent this happening again. Laura, thank you for joining us today. Uh, We're going to be going to a break right now, and when we come back, we will have Valerie Herskowitz, and we'll be talking a lot about coping with autism and when hope is lost. Um, Laura, Salini, thank you so much. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Thank you. Fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn a Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Hi, this is Mark Victor Hansen. You know me for Chicken Soup for the Soul, the One Minute Millionaire, and Cracking the Millionaire Code. And what I want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health, listen to Health Crusades by my friend John Farley. Tune in to Health Crusades with John Farley every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. Welcome back. We're on a very touchy subject today, and a very important subject today, and that is that of that feeling of when hope is lost. We talked earlier about Karen McCarran suffocating her three-year-old daughter, Katie, and uh, Laura gave us a, a good introduction into what happened there. Um, but I'm now here with the wonderful Valerie Herskowitz, who I've read her wonderful introduction, but really kind of failed to mention one of the most important pieces, and that is that she is the mother of a, a son with severe autism. Valerie, thank you very much for being on the show today. And thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Um, I have suffered a lot, as have you. Nowhere near as much suffering as our children. or Maybe not. Maybe it's more suffering to watch your child go through it than to experience it yourself. I, I don't know where that really lies. What do you feel? I think that sometimes as parents we do have a tendency to put the level of suffering that we're feeling onto our children. And with a lot of the families that I work with, one of the questions that I do ask the parents that I'm with on occasion is, well, do you think that's how your child is feeling or is that really what you think would be the best thing for your child? And for just to give you a for instance, uh, a lot of times parents feel that their child with autism should be, let's say, in a school setting or social setting with typically developing children. And I may at that point not feel that that's the appropriate situation, and I may say to that parent, well, is they, they say, well, that, we think that's where our child will be the happiest. Well, do you think that's where your child will be the happiest, or do you think that that's something to help you cope with the fact that your child has this issue? So I think a lot of times we have to, as parents, kind of separate out our emotions and our feelings from what our child is actually feeling. And I think that when you do that, it does give you the ability to uh, cope better because if you, can, if you can separate that out and you can look at your situation and you can look at how you're feeling about a situation, you can work on that. And then if you look at the situations that your child is involved in, you can work on that. But I think it is really important for us to separate that out. It is. Um, when a child in your neighborhood gets a chronic illness such as cancer or has a heart problem or something such as that, the, the entire neighborhood, and rightfully so, will pull together and make meals for a week, be there to help with the, the siblings. They're all there for them. But they're not necessarily there for autism. People run instead of embracing. People look for excuses to get away from the family as opposed to saying, what can I do to help? They'll say, oh, if you need anything, I need it, but, you know, I'm there for you, but they, are they really? What, what's the community feeling of, of autism? I think it may, it may depend on a community, and hopefully that's changing. Blake's 15. My son is 15, so... When my son was diagnosed, and I told a lot of my friends and family about it, I think they were still at the point where they were running to the encyclopedia to look up what was autism. Right. These days, of course, autism is a, is a word that's almost a buzzword, so it, it's, it's pretty prevalent. 
But with autism comes behaviors. And what happens a lot with these behaviors is people don't want a child, let's say, in their home that maybe touching their stuff or making loud noises or, you know, and so they may not want to socialize with that. And it's not only friends. I hear it with oh, people so tell me about family members. I'm not invited to my sister-in-law's anymore, uh, you know, and she, they don't want my son to be around my, their children and their children don't like my child. So I think it's a pretty prevalent I think it's a very prevalent uh, experience for parents to feel that their life with a child with autism is could be can be a very isolated one. So in dealing with all of these emotions and we and we, we as parents we feel the pain of our child. We are going through our own pieces and I and I reenact my own time at that point and and the blow of hearing the news and the reaction of the neighborhood and the reaction of my family um, and my um, ex-husband's family and the the breakdown that I have. And, and as you said, talking earlier, I mean, it was literally going to bed and just the fearfulness of waking up and what the day was going to bring. And we've talked a little bit about the need for respite, and I really want to hit that very, very strongly. But... This is what used to aggravate me more than anything else in the world. When these people, these neighbors, these family members would say, we're worried about you. You, you need more sleep. Go get your nails done. Go, go read a book. And I just wanted to slap them because it was like, okay, if you want to come and take care of my child, then I'll think about doing these things for myself. But it was it was the ideas of you know everybody was worried but nobody was acting back, back when my son was diagnosed i even heard that from from the doctors <laughs> you know uh, your son has autism put him in a special school and go on with your life and though i do believe that i believe you know i strongly believe and in the workshop that i teach i do believe that parents do need to have their life i don't think it's a matter of that i was a i think i was an extremely um, an aggressive uh, parent when dealing with Blake, not just because I was working with other children with autism too, but because I was not going to be able to put my head down on the, on a pillow at night, uh, not knowing that I had done everything in my power to improve the situation, and that involved putting him on a special diet, the, the GFCF diet, 12 years ago, and oh, wow. doing... Um, um, biomedical interventions uh, when, you know, really when the word kook was really used quite a bit to describe my behavior. I had him in a, in one, in a home program that I had uh, where I had him, where he never saw the light of day for a year and a half. He was in the options program. That was mm-hmm. one of the things that they prescribed. And it was, you know, radical for that, for that period of time, but, you know, I felt very strongly about it, and I, that was, that was the route I needed to go, yet at the same time, um, I do feel very strongly that parents do need to take take and make a life for themselves as well. Uh, it's just that when I teach those strategies, I teach it in a way so that the parents are, they do it knowing that they're taking care of their child with autism first and then 
they make this whole life around that child and, and ever all the pieces fall together. I think what happens, what I see a lot of times with families is that they, they set up a scenario that's doomed, you know, where they have one child going to piano lessons on one side of town and they have a job on another side and their kids are spread all over with schools all over the place. Right. And these parents, all the main thing that they feel 90% of the time is guilt. Mm-hmm. And guilt is absolutely huge. It, it, you know, I didn't do enough. And I just think that a lot of it has to do with how you... Um, you structure your life. I I believe in doing it in reverse. I believe that what you do is you do every you meet the needs of the special needs child first. They're the sun, they're the nucleus of the family, and then you can then fit in everybody else's needs around that, and then everybody's happy and everything works. But when you try and fit your special needs child's needs in around what everybody else is doing, it's it's a doomed situation and the parents feel overwhelmed and it's usually a house of cards. Well, going back to that guilt piece, I mean, siblings have played one of the biggest roles of guilt in my um, bringing up my son because I didn't want them to have to suffer anymore because of their son's, because of their brother's autism. And so as a parent, I found myself many times, you know, giving in or, or working myself to exhaustion make them happy so that they didn't feel that they had to give up or give up something because of their brother. I think that the reality is I my my son um, my older son is 17 and um, I I remember going through the situation where he it wasn't even just me is feeling guilty but it was like my other family members saying things to me like you know you're not spending enough time with him he's the one losing out this and that. I think the reality is that children that have siblings with autism is they're going to have as much of a different life as the fa- as the parents are. Um, my son, who's 17 now, yes, did, were there things that were different about his life had he not had a, a sibling with autism? You betcha. Uh, there's a lot of things that we do as a family that are, is structured around Blake's needs, even as far as going to which restaurant we're going to. Sure. But. The whole point is that is his life, and and as much as we need to accept and make the most of the life that we have as parents of children with autism, so be the siblings. And um, I found this, the sibling support groups to be more of just like entertainment. They really never got to the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of dealing with a child, dealing with a sibling with autism. What I find is that I would rather the have a sibling support group where the where the facilitator basically says to the children, you know, what can you do to help the situation? And, and I'll tell you, my son who's 17, I, not to brag or anything, but he is the father, really, of this child. I and mean, he, I, I'm divorced and I'm remarried now, but, you know, I did basically raise Blake on my own. And um, he really learned and took on a great deal of responsibility and he's only 18 months old and 21 months older and he's wonderful but he he used that that sense of responsibility that he's uh, learned from having been there uh, with me through this time with Blake has really been a wonderful thing for him because he's a terrific 17 year old he's going off to college in a year and 
we told them, bye, you are leaving now. You know, your 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 gig yeah. here is is on hiatus for right now. Then, you are going away to college, and you are not staying with us, and you're leaving. But you know, there's there was a positive outflow of that, and so I think that people, instead of looking at what are those siblings losing out in the in this whole experience, let's focus on what they're gaining. They are gaining a lot. Thank you. We'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with um, Valerie Herskowitz and talking more about how to cope. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease. Eating disorders affect men, women, adolescents, as well as young children. On Understanding Eating Disorders, Dr. Tom Scales, an internist and psychiatrist, uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches. Expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders, can be broken. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. You're back with Valerie Herskowitz. And Valerie, I want to talk to you a little bit about your workshop that you're doing, Having It All. I, I have to say, um, I really, really love my life right now. Um, I, I didn't all, I couldn't always say that. And I have really appreciated, and that's a mild word, appreciation for what my son Joey has done for my life and what he's meant to me and what he's meant to my my now husband and what he's meant to our clinic and so many different gifts that my son has given to me. Um, yes, 
he still has autism. He's getting better all the time, but he has autism. And we still have the anguish that comes along with never knowing where he's going to be, to, you know, what he's going to do next and uh, how many times this week do we have to have the police out looking for him. Uh, th- those things don't frequently <laughs> happen anymore, but that was a, a big part of our past. Um, but I have found that my son is so much happier when when I when I ventured out, when I left a lot of the misery behind, I left my ex-husband and I um, moved to a place I really wanted to be. I moved to Wisconsin where there was more room for him to run in and give him a nature setting and all of these things that I did to, to make myself be happy. Um, he, he became happy. Uh, yes, there's been a lot of interventions, biomedical and therapy that I've done in, in the interim, but... I definitely think that he feels my anguish and he feels my happiness. I think that um, there's no way. I mean, this goes for doesn't have to be a child with autism, but there's really no way that a parent can adequately parent a child, um, especially a child that has special needs, if they themselves are not taking care of themselves. And I think that that is uh, you and I. We seem to be from two peas in a pod because it sounds like our lives have, have really complemented each other. I also went through a rough patch and got a divorce and uh, am happily remarried. But during that time, I had a chance, and I, and I continually am able to speak to so many moms and dads who are unhappy in their marriage and unfortunately feel even more trapped because of the fact that they have a child with special needs and don't really see a way out. <clears throat> but and it usually takes about I think a good three years. I don't know how long it took you. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, it, it took me. I had to. I had to get a profession first. <laughs> What's yeah, a profession? I know that, and that's part of the deal. <laughs> right. So it took a little longer. Plus, I had. A, I had. My son is a twin, and then I had another child after that. Oh wow. Yeah, but that was. I mean, it was. It was a wonderful accident. I don't want to call her an accident. Okay. She's a fabulous. But yes. So, but, I mean, the stresses were, were all there, and it, it took me a while to, to realize what I needed to do. And I think it also takes a commitment for a parent to say to themselves and not feel guilty when they say this, but be able to say, hello, I want a life too. And I think that, again, going back to the guilt, never feeling that you've done everything at the end of the day that you could possibly do for that child and feeling there's always something that you should have done. I find that parents with special needs children, not by nature, but maybe by just the way that their lives have come out, have a tendency to be the biggest martyrs in the universe. And they always are thinking that they're not entitled to take care of themselves. And when I, when we get in sometimes, and I would get into support groups, it was all about support about, you know, whose life was the worst and who, who got the fattest. I can tap that story, that one of those. It's like, it's just like one story after the next. Of, yeah. and, and not that I don't think people should have a, a, an ability to be in a support group. In fact, I think it's, in, it's essential that parents with special needs children hang out with other parents who have special needs children. I think that's like an absolute law of how you manage to have a life and, and still be a parent of a special needs child is that you have to have a group of friends that get it because right. you're not that you're going to abandon your parents or your sister or your 
best friend, but they're not going to get it no, like, your, like the other parents. Their complaints are going to seem the most so, so tremendously superficial compared to your complaints. You know, when they complain about um, how, you know, their son um, locked the dog in the garage or something like that compared to your son that toppled over the wall unit with <laughs> with all the books. I'm sorry for laughing. But, <laughs> but I'm been... laughing out of, out of, while I'm nodding my head. Okay. Exactly. So. And, and the whole thing is really, and, and again, that's true to a certain extent, but after a while you kind of open your eyes and you realize that there are parents out there that don't have special needs child, children that are, you know, in the police station with their teenager and then you say to yourself, Hey, I get. I don't have to ever do that. Yeah. I don't have to worry about drugs or, or driving right, and all that right. stuff. But, but you're right, and especially when the kids are young, um, and you have friends that have young children, and they're talking, you know, like you said about these trivial things. So it is really essential. So going back to the support groups, I just think the focus of the support group should be on, you know, that's where we started getting together as parents and feeling good about going out for a margarita. Right. <laughs> and and feeling good about um, doing things that are on the positive end rather than always feeling like, you know, hey, I can top that story all, you know, about, you know, who's the fattest, who has the least amount of time, but really saying, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. I can actually have a life and still be a, a fantastic parent, probably a better parent, to that child with autism, and and yet there's a big difference between um, having a good life and having an easy life. And I will never, ever, ever say or ever tell parents that your life can be easy because it's never going to be easy. What, what would your reaction be, Valerie, to um, what I see now when I go to the conferences? And you and I have older children, so we, we've been there how old, done that. How old is your child? Uh, he's 13. Oh, yeah. So, um, so when you see these parents of four-year-olds running so fast because these doctors are telling them you only have this window of opportunity, and I, I personally don't believe that because we have seen a lot of recovery in children in their teens. But um, this, this is this is the this is what I know. Parents are out there listening. Saying, but I only have so much time, and and then what's your response to that? And and I understand that because I think, as I mentioned before, I was one of those moms, sort of on that treadmill, and and, and will always be on that treadmill of trying to find the next thing. But the truth is, is that you should you. It's the way that you structure your life. It's the way that you manage your your emotional state, um, and that doesn't mean you're not going to have, you're going to focus on your, you know, nobody is saying that uh, in the process of learning to have a, a fulfilling life that you're going to abandon your child with special needs um, and focus on yourself and, you know, and, and go to yoga every day um, and, and put your child with a babysitter. Nobody's saying that. What we're saying is, is that you, it, the way that you structure your life, the way that you handle the emotional Situation, the way that you view what you're doing, not, you know, instead of viewing this journey of dealing with this child with special needs as the worst tragedy that could ever have, a, have hit you, 
It's about learning that this is a experience, whether you want it, rather than qualify it and say it's good or bad, this is the experience, and you're going to have to embrace it as best that you can. And I think that by taking on those, changing the attitude and the structure of your life, that and everybody wins in the long run because you're, you're a person that has actually more, it's about time management and you have more time, more time to give to that special needs child, your other children, your husband, your, your significant other, and yourself, and look at the world through different kind of, of lenses rather than looking at the world as, you know, I am an, I'm, a, I'm a tragedy here. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're not a tragedy. You are, this is the life. This is who you are and this is about you. And it's, it's just best to approach it from, I guess, maybe a positive uh, way. And it doesn't mean that you're going to ever not feel sadness or you're not going to feel frustration or extreme tiredness. Um, I really related to what Laura was saying um, when she mentioned that having a child with severe uh, autism, as I do, is, is a physical experience. I mean, I was on the floor this morning wiping up. He had, you know, he picks his nose, <laughs> not to gross anybody out out there, but, you know, sometimes obsessively and cleaning up the blood, the, you know, the massive amount of blood this morning after I did it the other day, too. I mean, yes, it's really physical and it's hard, but I don't choose, I decided there was absolutely nothing to gain, nothing at all to look at it as being this horrible thing. I just couldn't continue to look at it like that. I, I wish it hadn't happened. I wish it was different, but the truth is it is what it is, and I'm going to have to get up every morning, and, and I refuse. I just, I just, it's a committed thing, and I think that if people understand that it doesn't mean they're not going to have, they're not going to be, uh, nobody expects you to say, oh, my life is wonderful, I have an autistic child, but it's, it's, the, it's the attitude about it. It's about saying, you know, we can, we can make the very, very most of this life or we can choose to allow ourselves to go into a complete state of non-functionality or, or despair. And, and I, I'm not saying that people shouldn't go out there and get psychological help. You need to. I think you need to do that immediately. I don't think anybody should wait. I think as soon as you get the diagnosis from uh, the, the doctor, psychologist, or school person, or whomever is, is diagnosing your child, that is already a sign to say, I'm going to need help with this. Right. I need, I, I, this is a, you know, I've never dealt with this before. This is a extreme difficult situation. I shouldn't do this alone. That was the very first appointment I made after my son was diagnosed, and and, and she was my uh, therapist for um, psychologist for many many years, and I still think of her to this day and how much she gave to me. And here you are, and here I am, and you know I have to say that I I'm probably the rarity in that because autism has given me so much. It's given me a career. It's given me a purpose. It's given me a husband. I met my husband through autism. And, I can't say I wish it never happened. I'm really, really, really happy for the gifts that autism has given me. And even though there's still a lot of pain attached to it, um, I am who I am. And some of the greatest people I've ever met are those parents who have survived the hardship of autism. We're going to have to take a break right now. We'll be right back with Valerie Herskowitz. Don't go away.
Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn a Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. We're back here with Valerie Herswood and talking about when hope is lost, and we are definitely moving this conversation on to be a lot more hopeful. Um, <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Valerie, I, I want to talk, because this is something that I said would be a part of the show, and this was an important piece of the show to me, in what I, if, if a neighbor or a family member or a friend of a family with autism is listening right now, if we could please give them some pieces of advice of what they could do to help, I would feel really good about that. Um, aside from sending money, <laughs> which most of the, the parents um, really are in a need of terribly. Um, but I, I, to me, I'll, I'll, say, I'll go back to where I used to be, the, the best gifts that people were able to give me. They couldn't deal with my son, and I could respect that. But if they would take his siblings <coughs> and spoil them rotten, that would mean everything to me because I didn't have the time or the money to spoil my other two children, and I wanted them to feel like they had their days in the sun. And I always felt that if somebody had just done that for me, and I did, I had um, my ex husband's aunt and I had some of my family that really, really did that for my children, how much that meant to me. Um, So what are some other ideas that you can think of? I think it's kind of an individual thing. Um, I've seen everything to anything. I've seen um, uh, grandparents that are extremely involved and and sisters and brothers that are extremely involved with uh, the child uh, and the family. And then I've, I've seen 
it go the other way as well, friends-wise too. I think everything is a really a very individualized thing, and in your case, you wanted the help with the with the with the siblings. I, I think for me, um, I was so much used to, I was so independent, and every you know, I just was not. I was really never good at asking favors, but. I think if I had to really do it all over again, I think I would ask people to get more involved with my son with the autism. Um, I think that people, I guess I'm a real advocate of our children being accepted and people not being afraid of our kids and, and learning that they're just another human being in the universe Um that they're no they're they're different but at the same time they should be embraced and I guess I guess my thing is is really I didn't have that I didn't have that situation but I I guess if I had to do it all over again I would maybe push it a little bit and say look you know um, come if you don't feel comfortable having him in your house how about coming to my house right um, how about becoming a little bit more involved with with Blake uh, he's He's not that, especially when he was little, he wasn't as hard. And, um, you know, learn, and maybe learn more about what autism is. Get more involved in, in what you can do as a community. We have our, uh, we have the family group, which at this point, we have a wonderful thing that's happened is that we got some state support for it next year. So I'm really, really excited about that. But that, we didn't get enough. So, we still go out into the community and we solicit funding for that for us. And so, I mean, if just something so simple like that, I'm, I'm going to be speaking about the family club at the conference in Utah next in two weeks, but I would love for other people to maybe get involved and start little family clubs in their communities. And that might be a way for the community to get involved because if they are they can they can get involved by by supporting their that organization. Our Rotary Club here just supported our bowling activity that we did oh, a couple great. of days ago, our Sunday bowling. And so I think the and, and I live in a big metropolitan area. I mean I live in Greater Fort Lauderdale, so I mean it's not like I live in a small community. So I think it's harder to get support, frankly, in a large community. I think right. from what I've seen, people that live in smaller communities have a tendency to be a little bit more cohesive. Um, but I think by getting by getting involved and in, in getting the community involved um, in an active participation in the NAR walks and the fundraising and the other fundraising activities that are going on for autism, like it's not NAR anymore, Autism Speaks, and in um, and some of the other uh, organizations that do go into the communities. To solicit support, I think that's what we can do as as a group of parents. We need to go into the communities and say, you know, here's this organization, and they're there to help people with autism, and you can help us either by involving yourself by uh, by giving a donation or by actively giving your time and things like that. I heard a really great thing today. Um, we're we're doing another event this Sunday. We have a movie party that we're doing for Monster House. We're taking about 225 people to the to Monster House. Wow! And I wanted to get some press coverage on it, and I heard a really cool thing in that the local our local town paper said, "Oh, autism is one of our uh, interests." So 
you know, I guess through public, through speaking out and through uh, not being afraid to to tell people about your child and and all those types of things, I think the community be, uh, eventually can evolve to become more supportive of us. I mean, you know, there's certainly enough of us around that we can make a make ourselves known. But I, I think also too, one component. Um, aside from being involved in support groups and being with other parents that have children with special needs, that's very healing. That has been healing for me and I'm sure for you and for many others is giving. Um, I think giving is a healing, uh, is something that heals people. And what I'm saying is, is that as you are going through, you first have your child is first diagnosed and you're, and you're trying to figure out what that's all about. Keep in the back of your mind, the more you do for autism, the more healed you will be. The more you give, the more you involve yourself in community activities that, uh, that work to help uh, our community, our autism community, the more you involve yourself in fundraising efforts and in, in nonprofit organization work, the more you will find, number one, of course, you'll have friends, you'll have a focus, you'll have an activity. But the more you will get so much out of that that it will have a healing nature for you. What's your advice on starting a? How would somebody go about starting a group like this? Do you have any recommendations? Very simply, um, I would use the public school system. Okay. The public school system, if you get the appropriate, uh, if you if you get the appropriate, you know, get to the appropriate people. Um, will allow you to send flyers to uh, the children that, um, you know, that you want to start a family group. Okay. And I think that's probably the best mechanism when you don't already have a cohesive group. Sure, and, that's a great idea. Um, yeah, they'll do that. And then, you know, of course you have to do the, you have to do the work. You get the people together. Maybe in the beginning you have to charge. You can go into, and, you know, I'm going to do this when I do the conference and how we got started. In the beginning, um, being that I owned a business and it was a therapy-based business, I funded it. But for other people, you might have to actually charge, but you can go into establishments and ask for discounts. Like we went to the, years ago before I had the support, we went to the Parrot Jungle here. It was used to, it was like $22 a head and we got it for 13 Sure. So, right. you know, you can get and you can do things that aren't necessarily I'll tell you how our family club started. It started with backyard parties at my house. <laughs> it started with potluck you backyard parties at my house. Yeah. And and I had a big piece of property back then and I lived a little bit more rural. And and that's how it got started. I had and at that time the little light bulb went off in my head when I had parents saying to me, This is the first time I can remember ever being with my son or my daughter with autism that I felt comfortable in a group setting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's how it started. It started with n- no money, potluck, backyard parties. But I had already a group because I was, I was so involved. For other people, I find the public schools, is if you, if you go according to their, they have strict guidelines, and if you show that you're not trying to make money or anything like that and you're just trying to organize a group, they can be very useful in getting, getting the word out. For free. This is so important, and we we have to close our show right now, but I I want people to know that um, there are other people out there who feel just 
as you do. Um, no matter what that emotion may be, you're not alone. And Autism One has been a fabulous radio resource to bring you that information. I hope we continue having you as listeners on our show here on Health Voice America. Um, but please feel that there are people out there and who have survived it, and you will survive this. And love your child, and that's the best gift you could possibly give them at this point. Um, thank you very much, Valerie, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I look forward to attending your workshop out there in your lecture in uh, Park City, Utah, U.S. Autism and Asperger's Conference in Park City, Utah in two weeks. Don't miss it. The website, usautism.org. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.